Good morning and welcome everybody. You're listening to Breakfast Show on Faith FM, 87.6, 87.8 or 88, right across Australia, right across the Faith FM network, wherever you are, positively different radio in the morning. You're with the double L team, Lyle and... Liam, good morning, Lyle. How are you this morning? I am exceptional this it's morning. exceptional to hear. Absolutely. What, what are you thankful for this morning? Um, this morning, I... Well, to start off, I'm, I'm not... 100%. I'm not 100%. Um, my, I got a flu shot yesterday. Okay. And my arm is absolutely just... just <laughs> it feels like someone's corked me in the arm. Um, but I'm thankful for it because it means that uh, I'm going to be a little bit more resistant to influenza for the next 12 months. So... You know, it's a. It's Have you had a, one of these flu shots before? Um, I, I think I might have had one when I was little, um, but I haven't had one for a very long time. My, my last shot was a tetanus injection, um, and that was about six years ago. So you about four years for your next uh, next tetan- tetanus booster, or have they made a uh, lifelong one yet? I've got no idea. I um, <laughs> this, this is not my area of expertise. <laughs> um, but yeah, so so what are you thankful for this morning, though? Um. Date night at home. Oh, that's always good. So, so, so date night is good, but date night at home is good as well. Is, so is it consistently a Thursday night? Because I know my parents, I, I've always, they, they don't always do date night because they've got six kids to look after. Um, but they've, uh, when they did used to go on date nights, it was always on Thursday and they made a big deal about it. Yeah, I'm not sure. It, um, it's like a thing. At the, at the moment, Thursday night is my only night off. Right. So that's why it's Thursday night. I see. But... Yeah. Not because when, when all this uh, coronavirus stuff lifts, it's going to be uh, late night shopping all night long? <laughs> no, 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 nothing like that. It's not like at the that. back of your wife's just, head. Um, yeah, it's just, just the way it has worked out at the moment is that I have this, this is my only night off. No, nah, very good. Making that's... the most of it and <laughs> having a good time. No, that's very good to hear. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. Liam, what have we got for positively different news this morning? Looking forward to a dog story. This yeah, morning? that's the first one I've got. So over in um, over in in the Norwegian Arctic, um, there was a, a massive landslide, and uh, like eight houses sort of were swept. They were sort of on the edge of the of the ocean, and they all got swept into the ocean. Yeah. And it was it was all over the news. Um, but one story that that uh, was a bit quieter. You know, that, I haven't heard that on the news. Haven't you? No. Oh. Wondering whether it's been obscured a bit by uh, COVID. But anyway, whatever. Oh, maybe COVID and, and riots. They're pretty COVID, big Yeah, that's right. COVID and riots yeah. are just absorbing all of the oxygen that there is. So we really have no idea what else is going on in the world. This sounds like a terrible tragedy happening up there. Well, multiple, multiple homes were swept into the Norwegian Arctic. Um, on Tuesday evening, um, there was a powerful landslide uh, near the town of Alta in, uh, near War- Norway. And um, there's this one owner, one homeowner named... Uh, Look, I've just got to own it. Jan Eagle Bacadell. Uh, he said he ran for his life when he realised everything that was going on. However, he obviously when it's quite a serious moment, there are some things that you forget. And he had a dog, and and so this dog was sort of left stranded in this house that was sinking into the ocean, and he climbed onto the roof somehow. Uh, must have floated out to the ocean and 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 started swimming, and then got onto the roof. But he was rescued by the air force. Um, so the dog got onto the roof. Yeah. Not a bad effort. Yeah, it was very like the 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 roof was sort of like covered in mud as well. Mm-hmm. So it was everything. It wasn't going very well, but uh, this dog safely made it. And um, yeah, wonderful that's a, that's story. A, that's, a, that's a pretty big effort for a dog to get out of a house that's been you know because a house that's been swept into the ocean is going to be smashed, destroyed, wrecked. 
and uh, yeah, indeed. Now, my Thank next you. story. Um, I've heard I've heard many people say that this place is is, is could be the promised land. Um, I, I strongly disagree. No, um, the promised land is in Tasmania. Everybody knows that. I strongly disagree. There's, there's no. There's not even. There's not even a. a a, a question I've never even heard anybody debate the subject. Of course, Tasmania is the promised land. Have you ever heard of the uh, the Bell Reeve Sorrel train line? The Bell Reeve, or it's also known as the Idiotic Railway. Uh, I know where Bell Reeve is. I know where Sorrel is. Sorrel is. There is a historical railway tunnel that is being up for lease, um, and the owner says it it wouldn't be a great place to live. But it's this old railway tunnel. That is just outside of Hobart, mm-hmm. um, in the alleged Hob- uh, the alleged promised land. Yes. Uh, again, it's up for debate. No. <laughs> um, but in the, the the purpose of this, the, there's the a reason- rail line that used to run from Bell Reeve to Sorel. Uh, yeah, apparently through a mountain. I, I, there's only one mountain that it can can go through yeah. between those two locations. And there's there's a tunnel through it. And um, it's no longer used, I, I, obviously. I never knew there was a tunnel there. Oh, well, there is. It's called I'm super the, curious now. It's called the Idiotic it. Railway. The railway operated until 1926, and it was labelled idiotic after much debate about its visibility, uh, about its viability. Yeah, I um, mean... Like because some people else. said it was faster to walk through parts of the line. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but this particular section is a 165-metre piece of rail history, and it's being used to grow mushrooms. And okay. um, that's the that's the thing that actually caught my mind, the the whole mushroom thing, because quite often in life, um, mushrooms they don't grow in the sun, do they? They need sort of the dark, the dark, damp, dank sort of a, a place. Depends what kind of mushrooms you're growing. Oh yeah, that's true. Um, sometimes they they grow in in cow paddocks. Yes, because uh, they use the the we'll call it fertilizer. <laughs> you just need lots of rain and you get mushrooms coming up all over the place. But anyway, but there yeah. are some mushrooms that like to grow in the dark and to be fed with fertilizer. Fertilizer, yes. But the reason why this, this caught my eye this morning is because I was sort of thinking that life's a little bit like that sometimes, where, you, where you're in the darkness and you, don't, you can't see what's happening around you. But, uh, but you know, there, there's a train. The train sort of... It, Actually, no, I don't know where this... I'm, I'm, I haven't fully thought out this analogy, but it's, I can tell it's going to be a good one. But we're in the dark, okay? And that we don't know what's going on around us. But we're still growing. We can't see that we're growing, but we are growing because we're getting nutrients. Uh, the, the mushrooms are getting nutrients from, from the stuff around them. We're getting nutrients from God. We may not realize it, but uh, we're being filled with this life. And when, we, when the doors, when the walls are finally broken down, we will realize that... Um, we're, we're actually doing... We're doing better than we realised. And it's okay. Everything's going to be all right. Because we've got God filling us with the nutrients of life. So I thought that was a pretty, uh, a pretty good analogy that I thought of this morning. Um, so yeah. Um, one last little thing that uh, I thought I'd just update everyone on. Sebastian. Uh, do, you, do you remember Sebastian? Mm-hmm. Yep. And, and Gregory. <laughs> no, not Gregory. Oh, sorry, just Greg. Just Greg. Just Greg. Uh, apologies, uh, Gregory, Greg, Greg, and Sebastian. Uh, our plants. How's your plant going? Your cactus. I have no idea. My my cactus thrives through neglect and abuse, and so I have been <laughs> neglecting and abusing it um, for the last week or so. And I assume that it is 
thriving. Well, Sebastian is doing, loves it. Sebastian is doing quite well. When I first bought Sebastian, there was a little bit that fell off, um, and I planted that. Uh, Sebastian is, of course, um, the succulent. So a bit of a little bit of Sebastian, the succulent plant fell off, and um, I planted that next to Sebastian, and it is just started to. It, it's just recently started to sort of open up and start to grow. So Sebastian two now. Sebastian. Too. I don't, would it be like an offspring of Sebastian, or would this sort of be like a starfish sort of scenario? Or a, clone. a clone. Maybe it's a clone. Maybe. Anyway, I don't whatever. know. Does, it's another do, plant. Plant, do plants have DNA? Uh, yeah, I would assume so. So, if you obviously, if you've got two plants of the same species that have similar DNA, but they wouldn't yeah, have yeah, no, identical yeah, 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 DNA. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because the largest, the largest living organism in the world so just sort is of a group of mushrooms that all have the same DNA. I think it's somewhere up in like the New England states and it, and it covers like, you know, 24 square kilometres or, or some insane thing. I can't remember now exactly. Um, so there's just a, like... There's, a, there's, another, um, there's another stand of spruce trees somewhere in the US that are all grew from suckers from one original spruce tree, so they're not, you know, sort of different trees. They're all one tree. It's one large living organism, just covers hundreds of acres. You know, that, that kind of stuff, yeah. So just like you and, and your children share very similar DNA, do you think, because they're your offspring, do these plants share DNA? We might have to get a, a biologist to... Sorry, is that the right word? I don't know if that's right. I reckon Dr. Google can answer that Dr. one Google. easily. <laughs> You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM positively different we are all about promoting good health here on faith fm and because of that we have dr paul wood who is joining us this morning and dr paul wood has uh, agreed to join us on a monthly basis um, so this is going to be a new monthly segment so dr wood thank you so much for joining us this morning and welcome my pleasure lyle and good morning to you and your listeners now dr wood we're going to be talking about a number of different um, issues, health issues over the over the rest of this year, but this morning we wanted to talk about, um, and, and I should just um, mention that Dr. Wood was uh, formerly the health director for the Trans Pacific Union Mission, which is uh, an area that covers a huge area of the uh, of the South Pacific over many many nations there, so a very significant position recently relocated back to Australia but um, having having come back to Australia of course during the uh, covid crisis, uh, we need to talk about flattening the second covid curve when we talk about the second curve, I guess the thing that sort of really pops into people's minds is a second outbreak of uh, the COVID virus as a result of restrictions easing. Uh, but the bigger danger is a second curve that is not as visible as that particular outbreak. What are we talking about? Yeah, so you're right. There is there is the possibility of a of a second, I guess, resurgence of the, of the COVID virus, and people are talking about that. But um, the second curve that we're particularly worried about is, is a rise in mental health issues um, in our country. And... Um, the Australian Medical Association recently did some projections and they were predicting that we could see an up to 25% increase in suicides for up to five years unless we take urgent action. Um, now, just to put that in context, in Australia each year, there's about 3,000 plus lives are lost to suicide. Um, so this would be an extra 750 to 1,500 more suicides annually. Um, so this is this is what the government's been concerned about. This is what public health professionals have been concerned about. 
um, and we're seeing lots of dollars now being thrown to help address this potential um, crisis in our nation. So, okay, so just just putting that uh, in, in perspective, if we're looking at this over the next five years, and you know, I guess the thing that initially goes through my mind is that you know this is something that would be driven by social isolation as a result of lockdown, but we're now coming out of lockdown. But the Australian Medical Association is some, saying that this is something that could project out over the next five years. Why are they saying it's going to project so far now that lockdown is easing? Yeah, you know, there's, there's a really strong link between unemployment and financial stress um, and mental health problems. As, as we know, there's been many jobs lost uh, in Australia due to due to uh, the COVID situation and, and, the, and the lockdown. So I guess that's what we're looking at. And now, as you know, we're in a recession as well, and that's going to come with financial stress for many people. So that's really what the issue is, is the stress associated with the, the in, uh, unemployment um, aspects of this, this crisis. Um, I guess also in the midst of the crisis that we had issues with people, you know, relationship stress. Um, there was a stress of social isolation at the time. And obviously, we had the stress of lack of toilet paper at one point, but uh, fortunately, that issue has now rectified itself. Um, <laughs> Indeed. But no, the big one right now, Lyle, is the, the issue with, with financial stress that people are struggling with. Okay, so if we if we take that into consideration, then and worst case scenario, if we've got uh, an increase of fifteen hundred deaths per year as a result of um, over a five year period as a result of the uh, the COVID nineteen crisis, that's going to amount to potentially worst case scenario seven and a half thousand deaths in Australia caused by COVID nineteen um, amongst people that have never been infected by it. Does that then indicate that? we would have been better off to follow the Swedish model? Yeah, look, that's a really good question, Lyle. Um, I think Australia's done really, really well in terms of um, clamping down on the, on the COVID outbreak. And I guess hindsight's one of those things that's always handy. Um, at, at, the, at this point in time, though, we are looking at a very... Um, we're in an enviable position, as, as, the, as the government quite you know, frequently tells us. Oh, yeah, um, we're, we're the leaders in the world um, in many respects. Absolutely. And look, I, I guess something on the scale of COVID-19 that we've seen, you know, it had, it had to have some financial implications for our, for our nation, and it's going to affect countries globally, um, I think. So, yeah, look, whether we would have been better off going down that path or not, hard to say, um, but I think, I think our, our health our leaders um, in the nation have done a great job in, in terms of, of, of the current um, position we find ourselves in. And this isn't really something we're not going to be able to understand for the next you know, five to seven years anyway. So um, it's, it, it's, it's a bold move to you know, embrace a virus that's going to kill, take a lot of lives um, in the hope that you will save you know, lives somewhere else. Um, and... You know, I have to agree with you. I feel very, very thankful to live in Australia. It's, it is, you know, the lucky country um, in the world right now from from many perspectives. Um, Doctor Wood, coming back to the the second curve, and this is the the mental health pandemic that we're facing. Um, how do we flatten this second curve? Yes, yeah, so I guess there's there's a role government plays, and they they they're, they're coming up to that challenge now. They're throwing funders into financial support with their job seeker and job keeper payments. Um, 
They're also throwing funds into telehealth, mental health consultations. So people who, uh, and this is particularly helpful for rural areas where people struggle to access psychologists, um, they can now do so via telehealth. So, you know, via telephone or, or video conferencing. I guess, though, in terms of self-help, there's a lot we can do here. And uh, the evidence has been mounting for years that um, that there's certain lifestyle things we can do that will improve our mental health. Big one, Lyle, is physical activity, and I'm hoping you went for a walk this morning. Uh, you know, I got up at 4.40 this morning, and there was ice all over my car, and so I, um, <laughs> I skipped out on the walk. But uh, I will be going for a walk later on today. Good one. Well, the good news is that... Um, Exercise is as effective as antidepressants for mild to moderate depression. That's powerful. That and is. look, the exercise you do outdoors probably has some additional benefits to that that which you do, you know, just walk in the treadmill. Um, there, there's something beneficial about green space, being out in the uh, natural environment, green trees, uh, blue sky. And I guess with um, the lockdown restrictions being eased now, that's something that people can um, do more of. Another um, self-help strategy is ensuring you have good nutrition. Um, sometimes when you're feeling a bit depressed, feeling a bit flat, we tend to reach for those comfort foods. Um, unfortunately, those comfort foods often aren't the best ones for your brain. And um, we're getting more and more research showing that, that um, diets that are sort of based around a Mediterranean-style diet, which uh, emphasises lots of fruits and vegetables, lots of different colours, these are the foods that your brain works best on. Um, and when your brain gets these kind of foods, you're in a better state to make decisions, but um, you also feel better as well. That's a, that's, a, that's a very encouraging thing that you say right there because I love Mediterranean food. It's just amazing. Um, yeah, I've been in that region of the world on several occasions and thoroughly loved the cuisine. Um, and, of course, we have a lot of Mediterranean people and people of Mediterranean background in Australia, so we are blessed with... Um, Lots of that culture here and lots of those uh, recipes and restaurants and so forth. So a Mediterranean diet is a good place to start then. Absolutely. Another big one is um, alcohol. And, you know, one of the concerning trends we saw um, in the, at the peak of the COVID pandemic here uh, was increased alcohol consumption. Um, and particularly people going to bottle shops, obviously pubs are closed, and uh, basically drinking at home. Um, and that's a way that some people, I guess, deal with stress, but um, it's not a particularly helpful one, unfortunately, in the long term, um, particularly in terms of, of increasing risk of mental health problems. Um, another one is sleep. Um, getting adequate sleep at night to feel your rested best is really important. And um, we can't emphasise enough the importance of social connectedness. So I guess particularly during, during this particular time where um, people have been feeling increasingly socially disconnected, you know, finding ways to remain connected with people who are who are those nearest and dearest to you. And um, I guess we've been finding some new ways to be uh, connected, uh, connected with all the, all the various social media tools that we've um, been seeing. Yeah, we have. Is, it, is that the same, though? Is it, a, is, it a, is it good enough to be socially connected via Zoom? You know, that's a fantastic question, Lyle. Um, no. There's, there's no substitute for being in the presence of somebody. You know, when you're, when you're in a person's presence, you, you pick up on a whole lot of subtle cues. You're looking at things like eye dilation, for example. There's sort of certain hormones that get released um, in your body when you're in somebody's physical presence. So no, it's not quite the same. Um, and there's, you know, having a great hug 
from a from a from a friend who's is powerful and similar to what it does for your immune health, for example. But look, connecting via Zoom versus not connecting at all is still is still better than nothing. Um, so be as socially connected as you can be. Um, obviously, within the constraints of 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 the social distancing requirements that we're working with. At the beginning of this um, little piece here, we started. We, we, we talked a little bit about government policy. I want to come back to government policy for a moment in dealing with the uh, the second curve of the COVID crisis, which is the mental health uh, crisis that we are facing. Um, we, we're talking about job keeper, job seeker, payments, uh, which in many ways are you know putting money in to people's pockets to keep them going in the short term. Now, of course, those are going to come to an end relatively soon. However, the government is going to need to do, you know, some long-term work to boost the economy and so forth. Is the government better off to be putting money into people's pockets or putting people into employment, which is going to be better for mental health, or are they both equal to each other? Yeah, they're definitely putting putting people into work is, is the way to go. I mean, when, you, when you're employed, you have um, a sense of meaning, you have a, you have a reason to get out of bed in the morning. Um, you tend to adopt your lifestyle behaviours to help keep you employed. Um, and it gives you a, a sense of purpose, sense of worth, um, all these things which you don't get when you're unemployed. So I think that has to be where the, where the real focus um, lies. And look, I guess that, that whole purpose concept is really important. You know, why do we get out of bed in the morning? Um, and I guess the whole COVID-19 pandemic has reminded us, you know, what's most important in life? You know, what is it that motivates us? What is it that drives us? Um, and, you know, I just encourage your listeners, um, if they're struggling with any of those issues, to really think seriously about, um, you know, what is it that gets me excited in the morning? Um, you know, for, for people of faith, um, spirituality plays a big role as well. Um, and there's, there's strong links between... Um, spiritual connectedness, um, you know, connecting with a higher power and um, good mental health as well. So, you know, even in the context of unemployment, in the context of uncertainty in terms of what's going on in our, in our world, in our economy, um, being spiritually connected does seem to have a, a particular protective role when it comes to our, our mental health. And in many ways, this is the easiest way to create social connection, you know, for lonely people. And there are so many lonely people. And it, sometimes it does my head in how many lonely people, you know, go and, and, you know, do some door knocking in the community. And there's just lonely people everywhere. And it's like, why don't you go and join a faith community somewhere? There's so many great churches around here. You know, come and join my church. It's an amazing church. And you can be part of a, you know, part of a, uh, uh, you know, you don't even have to. And this sounds terrible, I know, but you don't even have to be a believer, but it creates social um, connection just by being part of the church. Absolutely. It, it's interesting in the world's blue zones, you know, these, these parts of the world where people live the longest. Um, you know, faith tends to play a role in all these communities. Um, they're all spiritually connected and also socially connected as well. In fact, a lot of research that's been done on the role of faith in terms of its positive health benefits has actually been done by atheists. Um, so, you know, it's fascinating that the research shows that um, faith can play such an important role to our health, um, you know, despite the fact that the research has been done by people who, who don't necessarily subscribe to a faith system. Dr. Paul Wood, thank you so much for joining us here on Faith FM this morning. We appreciate your uh, input very much. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. We have come time for... Question of the day. We have indeed come time for... Question of the day. 
It's that time again. Question of the day, everybody. So we're hoping you are enjoying uh, listening to what you, what's uh, what's going on. But um, but yes, question of the day. What is the question of the day today? Okay, so you were asking a question. Okay, so so Liam this morning has a uh, very very sore arm. I do indeed. Tell us about your sore arm and so tell us about the question of the day. I got a flu shot in. Uh, I got a flu shot yesterday, and my question is: What does the Bible say about? Vaccines, or does the Bible say anything about vaccines? The Bible says nothing about vaccines. Now, this is an interesting subject, and it's a subject on which I've been on both sides of the argument. So, I sort of grew up in a uh, in a world where you know my mum was a nurse and so forth uh, when I was born, and so um, you know that was just the standard thing. You got a few shots here and there. You got a bunch of childhood diseases. I remember having measles, mumps, and um, what was the other one? Chicken pox. That you sort of get when you're a kid. Had all of those kind of things, survived them all, praise God, still here. Uh, and then moved on into adulthood, had, I think, tetanus shots and bits and pieces, sort of, you know, one of those kind of things that you sort of do on those rare occasions when you end up at the GP. Um, had kids, suddenly there was this issue of vaccination. This was back in the early 90s. Um, studied into it a fair bit. And. Over a period of time, yeah, I spent some time on the anti-vaccination side of the argument. Kept studying, came back in favour of vaccinations. And now, of course, I travel all over the world. And as a result of that, you know, pretty much every time I travel, I head down to the local GP and it's like, okay, this is the countries I'm going to. What do I need to get? And they'll stick a bunch of things in your arm and off you go. Um, Does that mean that, you know, from a health perspective, you know, things have changed a lot over the years? And... I guess that, you know, sometimes I, I do have question marks that are raised in my mind about the number of vaccinations that we hand out and the age brackets, but I'm just not a health expert to be able to really comment on that. But the basic principle of vaccinations is a principle that I support. I understand that there are a whole lot of people who don't. Now, here's an interesting issue, and this is really where the basis of the question comes. Is there, is there a biblical argument against vaccinations? And I've looked at a lot of the arguments against vaccinations that Christians have made because they have endeavoured to defend their decision not to vaccinate based on religious grounds. That can't be done for a Christian. I can't speak to other religions, but for a Christian that can't be done because there is no valid biblical grounds for not receiving a vaccination or a blood transfusion. Both of those, in many ways, fall into the same categories and the biblical arguments for both of them are kind of used in the same way. Now, the Bible says don't eat blood. And the Bible says don't eat certain tissues. With a blood transfusion or with a vaccination, you are not eating. The reason that God says don't eat blood is for health reasons. When you go to the doctor and he wants to find out what kind of disease you've got, he takes a blood test, and that's because that's where the disease is. And so God you know, just kind of points out the obvious when you butcher an animal. Start by cutting its throat and draining the blood uh, because you want to have as little amount of disease in that animal as possible. And you know, maybe the person who ate the bat, if they'd have drained the blood first, maybe we wouldn't be where we are now. Who knows? Shouldn't have been eating the bat in the first place. The Bible says don't eat dead bats. Um, And so, yeah, we're not talking about eating when you talk about blood transfusions or vaccinations. No, there is no biblical argument 
that where you can stand up and say, okay, here's a Bible verse, because the simple reality is that vaccinations did not exist back in the time when the Bible was being written. Um, I have seen people talk about, oh, you know, they, they mingled the blood of, you know, you know, Pilate mingled the blood with their sacrifices on the altar and that was a sinful thing to do and black vaccinations are made of a, a mingling of blood and tissue and so we shouldn't be doing that. That's just such a stretch. You know, that is taking a verse and just milking it to the last degree. Uh, probably some other interesting aspects of this uh, discussion that we could investigate, but uh, maybe they'll be for another day.